This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we start with an episode of The Burns and Allen Show. Now, because George Burns was one of the few entertainers whose career successfully spanned vaudeville, radio, film, and television, I'd like to spend a few minutes on this legend and the story of how he got started in show business. After his father died at the age of 47, George landed a job as a syrup maker in a local candy shop at age 7. Nate, as he was known, was, quote, discovered as he recalled long ago afterward, and I quote, We were all about the same age, six or seven, and when we were bored making syrup, we used to practice singing harmony in the basement. One day, our letter carrier came down to the basement. His name was Lou Farley. Feingold was his real name, but he changed it to Farley. He wanted the whole world to sing harmony. So he came down the basement once to deliver a letter and heard the four of us kids singing harmony. He liked our style, so we sang a couple more songs for him. Then we looked up at the head of the stairs and saw three or four people listening to us and smiling. In fact, they threw down a couple of pennies. So I said to the kids I was working with, no more chocolate syrup. It's show business from now on. We called ourselves the Pee Wee Quartet. We started out singing on ferry boats, in saloons, in brothels, on street corners. We'd put our hats down for donations. Sometimes the customers threw something in the hats. Sometimes they took something out of the hats, and sometimes they took the hats, unquote. So tonight we hear him with the love of his life, Gracie, and the episode, Kitty Party. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape. Brought to you by the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York and the independent marketers of Richfield gasolines, motor oils, and other petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. We escape to a small town on the California coast, behind whose scenes exists a world of terror, blackmail, and death. As H.B. Dixon tells it in his exciting new novel, Something for Nothing. The moon wasn't up yet. It was after nine and as dark as my pocket, and I was still a hundred miles below San Francisco. The coast route is tricky driving, too. The road dips and curves like a squirming snake, smack up against the mountains on one side, and on the other, a sheer long drop to the sea. 
Thought I was driving north, and I had the inside lane, which wasn't so bad. I kept bowling right along. And then about three miles below Bayside, I was going into a sharp curve to the right, when beyond it, coming toward me, the lights of another car flared up, a big cream-colored sedan on the wrong side of the road bearing down on me. I slammed on my brakes and skidded sideways. The other car barely skinned past, and I saw a woman hanging halfway out the door on the driver's side, looking scared to death. She didn't even try to make the turn. Her car went straight for the lip of the cliff, and just as it went over, the woman jumped. And the car went smashing down the face of the cliff, easy, a 200-foot drop all the way to the ocean. Hey! Hey, are you all right? Maybe she slid over. Hey there! Oh. What? Where are you? Don't, don't bother. Oh, there you are. I'm, I'm all right. Oh. Here. Here, hold on. Oh. Don't fall over the edge now. I'm, I'm a little shaky. There we go. I didn't see your car not till the last second. Well, look, lady, I didn't run oh. you off the road. You, you were way over on my side. Oh, I didn't mean it was your fault. My, my brakes failed. I was coming down the grade. I guess I, I lost my head. Well, you could have made it all right without brakes. You weren't going very fast. Oh. Uh, I can't see your car down there. It's probably underwater. Might have landed on the rocks, huh? No, I, I heard it splash. Uh, uh, can I drive you anywhere? I wasn't going your way. Oh, that's but, uh... all right. I'll, I'll go back to Bayside. I was going to see some friends down the road, but I don't feel like seeing them now. You can drop me in town. Uh, fine, I, I'd be glad to. Oh, oh, oh you're pretty wobbly. Yeah, let me help you. It was a shock, I guess. <laughs> that was a close one. Uh, say, uh, wait a minute. There wasn't anybody else in that car, was there? No. No, I was alone. You live in Bayside? Yes. I might stop off there tonight overnight. Well, you, you couldn't possibly find a room tonight, the, uh... The tourist season started. Well, I might find something in a motel. Oh, I'm sure everything's full up. And it's uh, it's easy driving beyond Bayside. No more mountains. If you're going to San Francisco. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Uh, do you live in San Francisco? Oh, I, I did when I was a kid. Uh, lately, I've been living in L.A. I've been working in pictures. Oh. For a while, I uh, thought I'd be another Clark Gable or a Robert Taylor or something. Every agent in town was after me, but uh, you know how it is. It didn't pan out. Why not? You're handsome. Oh, sure. Too handsome. I photographed too slick. I saw I'd never be anything but third rate, so I got out. Yes, I suppose that's sensible. Well, welcome Bayside City Limits. <laughs> now, where do I take you? Uh, straight ahead. Huh? Uh, this is Surf Avenue. It'll take you through the main highway. Well, where do you live? Oh, you don't have to take me there. Uh, stop here. <laughs> well, why here? I'm going to the police station to report the accident. Well, don't you want me to go along and be a witness? Oh, no, I'm, I'm sure that isn't necessary. Uh, uh, have a nice trip to San Francisco. Thanks. Uh, you are going right through, aren't you? Uh, well, I guess so. Well, you'll be there in two hours. Uh, yes, I, I know. Yes, well, well, thanks again, and goodbye. There was something funny about that dame. Something was worrying her besides that accident. The way she acted toward me, for instance. All she cared about was getting me out of town fast. So, naturally, I decided to stay a while to find out why. I found a room without any trouble at all, and then I walked around Bayside. I liked what I saw. The cars, the stores, the way the women were dressed. 
Yeah, Bayside was loaded with money. And then sometime after midnight, I dropped into a bar. One of the customers was yocking away to the bartender. I ordered scotch over rice and listened in. She phoned the station about an hour ago and said Frank wasn't psyched to go somewhere and not let her know. That was the customer, a big moon-faced man with a red neck who had cop written all over him. didn't sooner or later bust loose. What do you know? Frank's gone off on him there. Well, I told her we'd check around. Hey, she say Frank was driving that cream-colored job of his? My heart jumped like a hooked trout. He sure can't disappear far in that car. It was hard to keep the excitement out of my voice. Uh, pardon me, but, uh, what color car did you say? Huh? Well, I just drove in from L.A. and I passed a cream-colored sedan a few miles back. You couldn't miss this one. Darnest color you ever saw. Huh? The ornament on the hood is a big pair of dice. Well, the one I saw, a woman was driving. No, no, Frank never lets anyone drive his car. Well, guess she doesn't know how to drive, does she? Oh, sure she does, Chief. She just got a new convertible, only, you know, she doesn't go out much. Doesn't drink, doesn't wear makeup, doesn't do anything much, and she sure is a mousy woman. (laughs) She went to bed tonight at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. <laughs> uh, tell me, who is this Gassner? Uh, well, he, he owns this bar, a couple of restaurants, and he owns a Domino Cottage. Mm-hmm. He calls it a dude ranch, but it's really a gambling house. Oh, an important man, huh? Yeah, he is. And uh, he isn't. He's got money, but uh, the gambler doesn't rate with the local snobs. Oh, Bayside's one of those towns. Cream de la cream, mister. Some of the oldest families in California live here. So money doesn't count. Not without a pedigree, mister. It sure don't. (laughs) But money counts with me, especially easy money. They get something for nothing. That's the sweetest thing in life. Well, I finished my drink and went to the phone booth. First, I looked up Frank Gassner's address, 16 Yucca Drive, and I wrote it down. And I put through a long-distance call to my pal Danny in San Francisco. He said he'd meet me in Bayside in a couple of days. When I left the phone booth, the redneck cop had left and the bartender was getting ready to close up. I decided not to wait till morning to drop in at 16 Yucca Drive, so I paid the bartender and was halfway through the door when... It jarred me having somebody know my name in that town that particular night. I... Turned around fast. Gil Devin. What? What's your hurry, Gil? Don't you want to buy me a drink? I don't know you from Adam, baby. (laughs) Well, I know you. I know your name, rank, and uh, serial number. Oh, Oh, I dropped that identification bracelet again, huh? In the phone booth. I went in right after you. Here you are. Thank you. The uh, catch keeps coming open all the time. You uh, ought to have it fixed. Yeah, I guess so. But every time I lose it, it gets back to me somehow. Well, how about my reward? Oh? Like what? We could start with a drink. Well, I, uh... I'm sorry. I'd I'd love to, but uh, I've got a date. That hardly comes as a surprise with shoulders like yours. Now, uh, what does she have that I don't have? Only one thing, sweetheart, and uh, it's not beauty. But what she has, there's no substitute for. Hello, Mrs. Gassner. You forgot to lock the front door. Why? Why didn't you go to San Francisco? Well, when I get a feeling I'm not wanted, that's when I stick around. Find out why. 
Well, there was no reason for you to feel that way. I... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, is there anybody else in the house? No, I sent the maid home for the night. Oh, that's good. That's real good. I uh, just heard a couple of chatty men in a bar talking about a husband who hadn't come home and a wife who'd gone to bed at nine o'clock. I don't see why you've come here to tell me Stop that. Stop stalling. The husband's name was Frank Gassner and you're the wife. And at 9.30, you were out on the highway driving his car over the cliff. I saw it go over, remember? If I give you $2,000, will you leave town? You don't think I'd let a thing like this go for $2,000? But I shouldn't pay you anything at all. I haven't done anything. So you'll pay me $2,000 for nothing? Well, these circumstances are peculiar. Yeah, I'll say they are. Your husband was in that car. You murdered him. Oh. How much money do you want? Now, later, later. First, tell me about it. <laughs> Everything. Well, come on, come on, give. How did you kill him? I... I heard him drive into the garage, but he didn't come into the house. I found him asleep in the car. He'd been drinking. Passed out cold? Yes, he often did that. I'd been waiting for a chance to kill him. So I started the car and closed all the windows and ran a hose from the exhaust pipe in close to his face. When I went out later, he was dead. Oh, carbon monoxide. I knew it might not look like an accident because he was too drunk to have closed the garage door. So I drove down the highway and... Well, you know the rest. Ah, you had it all figured out, didn't you? He'd wait for a truck driver, a woman in distress. He'd pick you up, drop you off near home. Truck drivers always stick to the schedule, so he'd keep right on going fast, no time for questions. <laughs> but instead of one of those nights of the road, I came along. Yes, you came along. How much money do you want? Oh, you can't pay me off. Not with cash. I'll give you $10,000 and not a cent more. You what? <gasps> Don't tell me what you'll do or what you won't do. From now on, you'll do what I say. But you can't prove anything. Shall I phone the police? You saw the car go over the cliff, but you can't prove I was there. It's your word against mine. And you think they'll take yours? Well, they, they might, seeing that I'm a stranger, except for one thing. You didn't have a purse when I picked you up on the road. No. No, it's in the car. I forgot. It has my initials on it. Oh, please, I, I must get it back. Can you get it, please? Please. Well, the car's probably underwater. No, please. Well, I'll rent a plane and fly down there and look. Probably have to use a boat to get oh, to the car. Try. As soon as you can. Tomorrow. Oh, that's a little too soon. No, please, before someone saves the car. Just a minute, Mrs. Gaston. First, you and I have to come to a little understanding. Oh, anything. I'll, I'll give you anything. <laughs> you mean everything, don't you, Belle? was going to be a gold mine. For a start, Belle Gassner went to the bank next day and got me $10,000 cash. Then she made out a power of attorney for me. The next afternoon, I flew down the coast on a rented plane and spotted the car wedged into the rocks right side up under 20 feet of water. The next day, Belle and I went down in a cabin cruiser and dropped anchor as close to the rocks as we did. Uh, let the anchor out all the way there. It's hit bottom. All right, now take a hitch in the line. Okay. Now, that's it. There's no drag now. 
Oh, you... You can't even see the highway from here. No, but if somebody sees us, they'll think we're fishing. Uh Well, how are you going to do it? Well, I'll tie a rope around myself. You hold on to the rope so the surf doesn't bang me into those rocks. All right. Uh, wait a minute. Maybe we should swim over to that big rock there and try it from there. But I can't swim. No. Well, I'll swim over and pull you across. Oh, no, I'm, I'm terribly afraid of water. All right, all right. I'll try it from here, then. But you hang on to that rope, you understand? Yeah. If anything happens to me, baby, then you're really in trouble. I fastened the rope around my waist, and I waited for a backwash of surf, took a deep breath, and dove. My dive carried me down to the top of the car, and I hooked my arm through the front window and held myself against the force of the current. And then I looked in. It was a world of greenish twilight, but I could see everything. Frank Gassner's body was floating against the ceiling of the car, his arms and legs waving in the current, his coat flapping as if it were in a breeze. I looked away from the body and tried to find the purse. I hung onto the steering wheel and finally saw it on the floor, held on by the weight of the flashlight. When I went after it, the body brushed against me in a kind of a caress. I grabbed the purse, shoved myself out of the car and struggled to the surface and clambered aboard. You've got it, oh, thank heaven. Of all the fool women, you would leave something like this in the car. Well, I guess we should start back. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Now that you got my purse back, there's no way to prove I was in Frank's car. Doesn't that worry you? Not a bit, baby. (laughs) I might refuse to go through with our deal. I might revoke that power of attorney. No, you won't. I still hold some aces, Belle. That night I started playing those aces. Belle Gassner had never known a man like me, only a husband that she'd hated. All I had to do was make one move and she fell as hard as any of the rest of them. And having her crazy about me was the best way to keep her in line. Better than any threats. I didn't have to worry about Belle Gassner. Not anymore. And now I had the world by the tail on a downhill pull. When I got back to the Bayview Lodge later that night, Danny was waiting. So? What's the pitch, Gil? Ever hear of a character named Frank Gassner? Yeah, sure. At a place in Reno once. Last I heard, he had a gambling joint here. Why, you working for him? No, his wife. Huh? Gassner's missing. He took a powder, uh, met with an accident nobody knows yet. So she's appointed me manager of the whole works with the power of attorney. I, uh, I want you to front for me, Danny. Why do you want to front? Well, I, I don't want to be known as a gambler. This is my big chance to live first class. I want everything that goes with it. <laughs> Maybe I'll even join the racket club. Go social. Yeah, you always did have big ideas, Gil. How long is this going to last? Well, long enough. Well, suppose this Gassner shows up someday. He won't. Uh, and now, now wait a minute, Danny. My, my hands are clean. I, I didn't do him, and I, I know what happened to him, but I'm the only one who knows. Yeah. Yes. Sure, Gil. Okay, I'll play along. A week later, Bell introduced me around, and I took over. Danny did most of my work, and I began living high. I even bought a brand new plane, a beautiful low-wing four-place job. And I took Belle up the first day. 
<laughs> you know, flying's the only time I'm really myself, Belle. There's nothing like it. I know a little about it. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. I took lessons for a while. Frank was going to buy a plane. Well, how many odds do you have? Oh, almost 20. Oh, then you're solo, huh? I wasn't very good. Just never could get the hang of it. Oh. Well, come on. Try it. Take oh, over. Oh, no, no. Oh, come on. You think I can? Why, sure. It's a cinch. Well. There we go. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> now, uh, try a turn to the left. Huh? Oh, no, no, not too steep. There we go. You got the feel of it? Oh, it's fine. It's wonderful. Yeah, sure it is. You must have had a bad instructor. <laughs> but now, baby, you've got me. The money began rolling in. I bought a bachelor house on the beach. I joined the racket club. It seemed like there was no end to the good things I'd heard about and never known. Yet, slowly, little by little, a sour note crept in. Belle began to get on my nerves. She she was so possessive, I began to hate the sight of her. Now, one night at the racket club, she was dancing with someone, and I was having a drink at the bar. Oh, hello there, Gil Devon. What? Well, hello. <laughs> I just knew those shoulders went with that handsome face. Are you uh, tied up tonight, or can you buy me that drink? Sure I can. Uh, tell me, why haven't I seen you around since, uh, the first time? I've been to Europe since then. I'll be here for a few weeks, though, then I'm going to New York for the winter. Oh, I thought this was your home. It's one of them. Daddy's got four houses scattered around the country. Oh. Look, uh, you'll mind the drink. Let's go outside. Sure. <laughs> You've, uh, got an edge on me, I... I don't know your name. <laughs> Allison Price. You know something? Here's something I've always imagined would happen to me. Really? I didn't seem to think so that first night. No, well, I, I had something else on my mind. Something that had to come first so that you could happen. And uh, what was that? Money. girl like you can only come along when a man's got... Money to burn. And on the way home that night, I was in real trouble. Where were you? I saw you leave with Allison Price. I told you, Belle, we were outside talking. I warn you, Gil. If you ever think of leaving me, I'll go to the police and tell them we both killed Frank. And I mean it, Gil. Oh, calm down, Belle. I'm not interested in that Price girl. Are you sure? Why, sure. As soon as you're legally a widow, we, we'll get married. That's a promise, Belle. I felt like a steel trap had closed on me. Yeah, Belle was dangerous. She had to be handled right. I planned everything down to the last detail and then waited. Until one night pretty late. Yeah, I'm... Jill, they found him. What are you talking about? Found who? Gassner. Gassner's body's been found. The car's down the roadways at the bottom of a cliff. Somebody spotted it from the air. It must have been an accident. Yeah. Look, uh, should I call Mrs. Gassner? Chief Arnold's not going to tell her till he's poked around. No. Uh, no, Danny. Uh, I'll call her. Uh, thanks for letting me know. Hello, Bill. I'm so glad you called, darling. I was just going to bed. Well, you're not going to bed now. You're going to leave town. Why? 
I can't tell you why over the telephone. I'll pick you up in ten minutes. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. You better take your car. Pack a bag and drive out to the airport. Don't let anyone see you. I'll meet you there. They found Frank last night. Danny called. Oh, is that all? What a relief. I, I couldn't imagine Wait a minute, Belle. Danny says that Arnold's already figured out from the wreckage that Gassner wasn't driving the car. That doesn't mean they'll suspect me. And the autopsy shows that he was dead a long time before the car went over the cliff. They know it was carbon monoxide. No. And somebody on your street saw you walking home that night. Then Chief Arnold knows I was lying. Oh, what'll I do? That's why I ask you to meet me out here. You can take my plane. But I'm no pilot, dear. You can do it, dear. You can fly up the coast past Frisco across the state line to Medford, Oregon. What shall I do there? Stay there. You'll be out of the state. Then when I straighten things out, you can come back. But I, I can't do... It's the only thing you do, Belle. Now, trust me, darling. <laughs> It was barely dawn and there wasn't a soul around. Bell stayed in her car while I got the plane ready. I rolled it out of the hangar and parked it just over a water drain and then I opened the valves to the gasoline tanks and let almost all of it drain out so she'd have only enough fuel for 15 minutes of flight. I rolled the plane out on the runway and got it warmed up and then Bell ran across and I helped her climb in. Now just follow this course I marked it. Stay over the ocean at least an hour. Why, Gil? Well, I don't want you spotted. It's safer that way. This engine runs like a wristwatch. All right, darling. Oh, Oh, you're okay, honey. Don't worry about it. Now depend on me. Now don't start crying, dear. You you, you have to get out of here. Gil? Goodbye, darling. She took off to the west and then flew northwest over the ocean. <laughs> what a trusting fool she was. When I looked at my wristwatch driving back to town, it was 18 minutes since the plane took off. By then it was down somewhere in the ocean out of gas. It would sink at once, and Bell couldn't swim. Well, it wasn't such a terrible way to die. And Chief Arnold would figure it this way. Bell had heard that Frank's body was found. She lost her head and ran because she had murdered him. Case closed. It was a nice day. Nice day to take Allison swimming. Or for a drive up the beach. When I got to town, nothing was open yet except the drugstore. So I stopped and bought a paper. Folded it under my arm and started back to my car. Then I spotted Chief Arnold coming toward me, grinning like an ape. I wondered what was on the old fathead's mind. Mr. Devon. What? Oh, over there. Well, hello, Chief. You look happy about something. Uh, Gil Devon. I arrest you for the murder of Frank Gassner. What? (laughs) Are you nuts? What gives you the idea that I had anything... Never seen this before, Devon. Sure, that... That's my army identification bracelet. I, huh? I haven't seen it for weeks. I, I'm always losing it. Yeah, it's handy for us cops that you do. <laughs> this time you lost it in Frank Gastner's car. <laughs> oh, uh, say, isn't that Allison Price? <laughs> well, I'll be darned. <laughs> He's got under your skin, too. Shut up. Uh-oh. Shut up, you flat foot. Yeah. Come here. I want to talk. Oh, beautiful girl. (laughs) And so near. So near. And yet, so far. 
Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robson and has tonight presented Something for Nothing by H.V. Dixon. Adapted for radio by Sylvia Richards. Featured in the cast were Bill Conrad as Gill, Ann Morrison as Bell, Francis Cheney as Allison, Will Gear as Arnold, Rick Vallon as the bartender, and Paul Fries as Danny. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You are being whirled through the streets of New Orleans by the gay revelers of Mardi Gras. But somewhere in the crowd, dressed as a clown, is a murderer. Your murderer. From whom there is no escape. Stay tuned for Escape, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Escape on Theater of the Mind. From Hollywood, the George Burns and Gracie Allen Show for Hormel and Spam. Crazy people. Spam, rebuff, boom, spam. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Audie Shaw and his orchestra. The singing glee with the smoothies three. Last but not least, and with Bud Heaston. show those two spambassadors of fun, George and Gracie. Uh, thank you very much. Hello, Gracie. Hello, Bud. Uh, what do you think of the hot weather we've been having? Oh, boy, I wish I knew how to keep cool. Oh, I know what we could do, Bud. We can go down to the beach and sit in the sand and I'll hold your hand and you can hug me and I can kiss you. Oh, and then Gracie, you can kiss... uh, will that cool us off? No, but we, we may as well enjoy the heat, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, uh, I think he knows what you mean, and Gracie, quiet about the heat. The tourists might be listening. Tourists? What's a tourist? What's tourists? Yes. Yeah. Look, Gracie, let's say you leave the studio, you cross Hollywood and Vine, you get on a bus... Oh, it's impossible. What's impossible? To cross Hollywood and Vine. All right, forget Hollywood and Vine. You get on a train in Los Angeles and you travel and travel and travel and travel. What are you? Still in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, I'll try to explain what a tourist is again. I'm in the Brown Derby eating... What are you eating? A chicken sandwich. White meat or dark meat? What's the difference? $3.20. <laughs> well, then I come out of the Brown Derby... There are people waiting out there with paper and pencils. 
Are they waiting for you? Yes. What are they? Creditors. <laughs> it's still very warm, and as a matter of fact, it's getting hotter, buddy. Well, George, if you're that warm, why don't you do what my brother does? What does he do? Well, he knows how to keep cool. He does? Yeah, every morning, every morning he spends two hours under a cold shower. He, uh, well, how does he stand that? He doesn't turn the water on. <laughs> which, uh, which, which brother is that? Well, that's the one who's smarter than I am. Oh, the, the half-wit, the tall one. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. The good-looking kid. Yeah. The golfer. Yeah. Yes. The one who got his head caught in the Frigidaire. <laughs> his head got caught in the Frigidaire? Well, yeah, you see, he didn't believe the light went out when you closed the door. Well, of course, that's a nice way to keep cool. No, I don't think so. That's a crazy way. I bet it is. The best thing to do is what my daddy thought of yesterday. What's that? Well, he attached an electric fan to his nose. Attached an electric fan to his nose? Yes. Where's your daddy now? Flying over Kansas City. <laughs> I, uh... I, I really think I was better off with the tourists. What's the tourists? Quiet, quiet. Come in. Four years in Harvard, and all I do is open and close doors. Sound man, stop grumbling and open the door. I'll do it, but my heart isn't in it. Mr. Burns? Yeah? Yes. <laughs> Mr. Burns, you've got a wonderful program, and I think you're great. And I've come all the way from New York to Los Angeles to get your autograph. Well, you're just in time, mister. I've been trying to explain to Gracie what a tourist is. Now, if you came all the way from New York to Los Angeles and you want my autograph, what are you? Your brother Willie, remember? <laughs> well, just for that, go back to the hotel and take my suit off. Quickly. Mm. Sound man, these door slams that you give out each week are going to knock down the building. Mr. Burns, Bing Crosby says, boo, 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 boo. For that, he gets $10,000. Ted Lewis is everybody happy, $12,000. Jack Benny, terrific vocabulary. Instead of saying hello again, jello again, $20,000. I have translated into English. The ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics discovered on the tomb of King Herod III, covering the period from the Second Dynasty through the Peloponnesian Wars. And this is what I do for a living. Wow. Well, all right, right after the broadcast, I'll give you a gold star and a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> and now the smoothies, Bab, Charlie, and Little are going to sing a very... Uh, Senor Burns, con permiso, quiero decir una cosa, por favor. A guitar, a guitar player. Senor Lee, what is it now? There's one member in the orchestra who sings much better than the Smoothies. He is the greatest singer in the country, but he is too modest to tell you. Who was that? Me. <laughs> You're the greatest singer in the country? You really think so? <laughs> so, so the Smoothies will sing... Hey, George, I finally got it. Now, how could I have been so stupid? I know what a tourist is. Well, good, good. What is a tourist? Your brother, Willie. Gracie, a tourist is a person who travels from place to place and never stops. Oh, Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> and now the smoothies will sing... Okay, okay, Senor Lee, as long as you're such a good singer. Come up here. I'd like to hear you sing. Introduction, Artie. Not in the mood. Yeah. 
Well, never mind. Artie, what are you going to play tonight? A little French number entitled Le Pleuvoir d'Avril. What does that mean in English? April showers. <laughs> Why did you say it in French? Well, Senor Lee doesn't like the number and he doesn't understand French. Why does a Senor Lee like April showers? Why, it's a beautiful number. Oh, an April shower. <laughs> well, come your way home. What's the matter? <laughs> well, Artie, I suppose if Senor Lee doesn't like it, you'll have to play something else. Yep, tonight I'm going to play Temptation. Fine. Why he puts up with that Senor Lee is more than I can understand. See, George, you just don't understand the Latin people, that's all. But you do, huh? Well, I was in South America. I know exactly how they live. All night long, they sit under the moon and make love. And They, they ha- sit under the moon all night and make love? Yeah. What do they do in the daytime? Well, they sit under the sun and cool off. Body <laughs> temptation, please. Temptation by the number one band of the nation. It's pretty cute. <laughs> and 
Really, Artie, I've never heard you play that number. I've never heard you uh, play that number so well before. That was right. Well, it's mighty yeah. nice of you to say that, George. I, I, I really mean it, Artie. Do you care to smoke a cigar with me? Oh, I'd love to. All right, I'll smoke it down here, and then you can have it. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, kid. Did George, while I sure was doing his number, our costumes arrived for the kitty party. Oh, Gracie, are you and George going to a kitty party tonight? Mm-hmm. Look, Gracie, I'll go to the Coconut Grove because I love it. And I love Betty Duchin's music. But I'm not getting into that Lord Fauntleroy suit. Some fun I had at the last kitty party. I spent ten minutes bobbing for apples. And twenty minutes bobbing for your teeth. <laughs> that was a cute sight. All those grown-up movie stars with lollipops in their mouths. Well, all of them didn't have lollipops. No? Joey Brown had a chocolate-covered shovel. <laughs> kitty parties. It's not bad enough that you have to go dressed up like five-year-old rollicking Rollo. You've got to entertain with the tiny tot stuff. After all, I'm not exactly five years old. Not exactly ten. Certainly. Not exactly twenty. That's right. Not exactly forty. Quiet, quiet. <laughs> I can go on like this for years. But don't, don't, just don't. <laughs> but how old do I look to you? Well, roughly, George, your face looks about thirty. There you are, Grayson. <laughs> but smooth it out, it looks at least sixty. <laughs> oh, there you are, George. <laughs> not going to that kitty party. They want you to entertain. What are you going to do, Gracie? Oh, I know a very cute story. It goes like this. Sorry. Once there was a nice little boy, and he saw a little angleworm who had nobody to play with. And the nice little boy felt so sorry for the little angleworm that he took out his penknife, and he cut the little angleworm in half, and then he said, Now, little angleworm, will have somebody to play with. <laughs> Very cute, but you see, I don't know any stories. I... George, George, here's a little poem you can tell. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown. See Dr. Cowan, credit dentist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, still not performing. Well, George, look, here's one. Uh, little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating a can of Spam. He stuck in his thumb and pulled out some meat, which is not only a pure pork product, but is a perfect blend of the choicest cuts, pork shoulder, the juiciest, sweetest meat, combined with ham meat, well-known for tenderness and flavor, and said, what a good boy am I. Oh. Well, still not performing. Well, George, why don't you do a little poem like this? I don't want to hear it. Good. I always use a dial phone. With me, it never fails. I never get my number, but it manicures my nails. Gracie, I'm still not performing. Mr. Burns, if you'll allow a sound man. Allow it. Here is a simple little poem which I recited when I was six years old. Poem. Species aromatic rosa bacilli are red. Species genus viola septuri are blue. C2H4016 is a split carbohydrate. And so are you. Oh, that's beautiful. Why did you do that, John? You think I ought to do oh, that Oh, I one? love that Still one. not performing. Uh, Senor Burns, I have a children's poem. Well, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. <laughs> I'm a little wildflower, growing wilder every hour. Nobody tries to cultivate me. Caramba, do I smell. <laughs> Look, I've got a TL for you. Forget the poems, and I'm not going. Oh, but I've got a beautiful costume for you. A little short pants and a busted brown collar and a big bow and a little sailor hat. Oh, you look awfully cute. Dapper, huh? 
No, no, you're too old to wear that. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> And now the smoothies will sing Me to Sun Halfway. Also, uh, I think maybe I sing now. <laughs> well, I think maybe I let you. And I hope you're in the mood. Introduction, Artie. <laughs> Not in the mood. <laughs> Senor Lee, I don't think you ever sang in your life. Okay, <laughs> Barbarita. I sang Carmen in South America. Well, I was there. Quiet. I can picture it now. There I am in the middle of the arena, the greatest singer in the world. Oh, just like a toreador. Thousands of people applauding. The lights dim down. I open my mouth. And the bull rushes out. Oh, <laughs> smoothies, the song. <laughs> Get up, come on, get out And meet the sun halfway There may be a fortune waiting Or maybe an exit plane Get up, come on, get out And meet the sun halfway Get into the tub As you begin to rub and scrub Give out with your version of the road to Mandalay Don't ever expect the right side Served up to you on a train Get up, come on, get out You're late And meet the sun halfway You had a good night You didn't count sheep Enough for that going back to sleep Hey, sleepyhead Don't you know what you're missing? Hey, sleepyhead Life can really be gay So gay, so stop hiding behind a pillow Whenever dawn looks gray Get up, get out, get on your way And meet the sun halfway There may be a fortune waiting Or maybe an eggs you play Get up, get out And meet the sun halfway Get into the tub, the tub And start to rub and scrub Why don't you give out with your version Of the road to Mandalay Don't ever expect the right side Served up to you on a train Why don't you get up, get out And meet the sun halfway Come on, get up It's sunny outside Get out of there You're on the right side You meet the sun halfway Smoothies, you did a grand job. Oh, George, can I uh, take the microphone for a second here? Oh, I'm, sure, uh, I'm, I'm Excuse me, please. I've got a little problem here. See, platter, scatter, fatter. Gosh, gee, platter, chatter. My goodness, uh, but what's the matter? Well, I've got another swell poem here, Gracie, except that I can't make the last line run. Oh, well, I'm good at that. Give me the test and I'll do my best poem, you see? That's <laughs> very cute. <laughs> hey, go ahead. Um, uh, in the good old summertime, have something just right when you dine. You'll make a hit with spam on a platter. Well, that's where I'm stuck, Gracie. I, I need something to rhyme with platter. Oh, that's easy, but listen. You'll make a hit with spam on a platter. For real, you know, there's nothing better. <laughs> <laughs> nothing better. Not bad, Gracie, and thanks. That's what I needed to get me started on a swell suggestion for a grand warm weather meal. A spam summer platter. Open a can or two of spam, S-P-A-M, Slice and arrange around a large platter. Next, a circle of luscious sliced tomatoes, then a ring of your favorite cheese sliced. Decorate the platter with crisp celery, radishes, olives, and raw carrots. 
With potato salad, iced tea or coffee, and a simple dessert, you bring to your table a perfect summer meal. Just wait until Dad and the youngsters taste those juicy slices of Spam, delicious meat that, that pleases every appetite because Spam is meat with a hearty He-Man flavor. You'll like it, too, because Spam is so easy to use. Ready to eat just as it comes from the can, Spam is always handy because it keeps without refrigeration. Serve a Spam summer platter soon. Ask your food dealer for Spam when you shop tomorrow and try the easy recipes on the label. Then you'll discover that cold or hot, Spam hits the spot. Slice it, dice it, fry it, bake it, cold or hot, Spam hits the spot. Smoothies, that was really swell. Was See, George, the... I saw all the costumes for the kitty party tonight, and Georgie Jessel's wife's costume is the prettiest. It is, huh? Yes. Oh, it's very cute. She's going to wear a little bobby socks and a little baby bonnet and a little white play dress and a blue sash on it. Probably be very happy in a thing like that. Well, it should be. It was a wedding gown. <laughs> well... It's, uh, it's too bad, Gracie. I, I won't be able to see the dress. Wow. We won't get there until after nine, and Mrs. Jessel will be home before that. Oh, doctor's orders? No, the curfew law. <laughs> curfew law? Yes. <laughs> What's that? Uh, it's a law that's just been passed in California. It's for the protection of juveniles. Who are they? Before you were 18, what were you? 17. According to the new curfew law, if you're under 18 and you're out after 9 o'clock, an officer comes up and serves you with a writ. Just me? No. If your brother's out, the officer comes up and serves him with a writ. And if his brother's out, he serves him with a writ. Now, do you know what it is? Yeah, the writ's brothers. (laughs) The only one who can explain a law like this to you, Gracie, is a jurist. But you don't even know what a jurist is. I do, too. What's a jurist? You cross Hollywood and Vine, you get in a bus, and you think it's your brother Willie, it turns out to be Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> Look, uh, curfew is a thing that's impossible to explain to an idiot. Mr. Burns, I think I can explain it to you. <laughs> well, thanks, sound man. Thanks, oodles. I'll admit I haven't had a college education, so no matter what you're explaining, you're wasting your time because I can't understand it. So go back to your door. Peasant. <laughs> That's what I do for a living How did I get mixed up in a thing like this? No, none of this would have happened if you put on your kitty costume in the first place All right, I'll go off stage and put it on right now And I'll leave it to the rest of the cast and see if it doesn't look silly All right, well, come right back Yes, I'll be right back <laughs> Oh, but I wish you were going to the party Yeah, so do I It's going to be a swell party Mickey Rooney is going to bring Ann Sheridan and Charles Boyer <laughs> That's a funny thing. If Mickey Rooney's bringing Ann Sheridan with that new curfew law, Mickey will have to be home by 9 o'clock. Yeah, or else he'll be arrested for arson. Uh, arson? <laughs> Gracie, arson means burned up. Well, if you had to leave Ann Sheridan at 9 o'clock, you'd be burned up, too. <laughs> well, it sure is tough on these kids with these curfew officers, but, boy, I'd give anything to go to the party. Well, I've just got two tickets for the kitty party. One is George's and one is mine. Oh, wait a minute. George is getting dressed up as a baby. We can phone the curfew officer. He'll take George home and put him to bed, and you and I can go to the party. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, why didn't I think of that? Oh, oh dear. Who, who knows the number of the curfew officer? Well, I think it's a rotten trick you're playing on as nice a fellow as George. The number's Gladstone 1131. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll go and call it. But now, don't forget, everybody, when George comes in, tell him how nice and young he looks. Okay. Uh-oh, here he comes. 
Here I am. Dad, 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 dad. Oh, how are you, little boy? Where's your mama? See, George, that's how young you look. I didn't know you. Oh, stop. Artie, how do you like me in my kitty costume? When I walked in, did you notice my rattle? Yeah, you ought to get your joints oiled. Just for that, I'll take my Shirley Temple doll and fracture your skull. That's a nice bow you've got on your hat, George. Thanks. <laughs> it's a nice bow. <laughs> It's a nice bow you have in your legs. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah? Oh, but you shouldn't say things like that about George. Thanks, Christian. Legs like his are few and far between. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Uh, pardon me, but I got a call from a Mr. Heaston. Oh, so I guess you're the little girl, or boy. <laughs> what a cute little boy and what a cute outfit. How old are you? Goggle, gobble, gobble. <laughs> My, you look older than that. All right, so I'm ogle, gobble, gobble and a half. A little five-year-old boy smoking cigars? Yes, and I dink, too. What? I dink. Oh, George, you can speak plainer than that. Well, come along with me, my little man I can't, I gotta go to a party at the Coconut Dome I'm the curfew officer We're gonna have a lot Wait a minute, brother I happen to be a very old man Mister, did you ever see a five-year-old with a face like mine? Yeah, I came in second yesterday at Hollywood Park I don't know who framed this, but all I know is that I'm not going to any kiddie party. Here, Gracie, you can have the ticket. Oh, thanks. Oh, come on, curfew officer. We're going to a party. Well, Gracie, are you going out with that curfew officer? What about me? Well, you can go with him next week. <laughs> I'll go to the party, Miss Allen, but I'll have to take you home by 9 o'clock. Oh, I'm over 18. But I'm not. <laughs> That's fine. want now? Now he's in the mood to sing. Well, all right. Come down here and sing. But is the audience in the mood? Audience, are you in the mood? <laughs> They're not in the mood. <laughs> well, all right. Senor, don't sing and don't bother me and don't come back next week. Senor Burns, that did it. Oh, you're going to quit? No. Now I'm in the mood. Una vez más, te pido yo que me perdones, te pido que no me abandones, que hago sin ti. Una vez más, quiero besar tu linda boca, ciego de amor y pasión loca, que siento por ti. Yo tu belleza no la olvido, pues es difícil de olvidar. Tu nombre siempre lo bendigo. Aunque tú me hiciste un gran mal, te pido una vez más. Quiero besar tu linda boca, 
ciego de amor y pasión loca que siento por ti. Una vez más, ole, 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 una vez and Gracie have asked me to suggest you try a Spam summer platter at your house real soon. You'll like the delicious, meaty flavor of Spam, the way it satisfies husky appetites. So just open a can of Spam, slice this grand-tasting meat, and let it headline a platter of tomatoes, cheese, crisp celery, and favorite summer fixings. That's the easy way to good, warm-weather meals. Ask for Spam, S-P-A-M, when you shop tomorrow. Try the simple recipes on the label. Thank you, Bob. Gracie, say goodnight. Oh, goodnight. Oh, say, George. Sing your lead song made me feel so romantic. I feel like kissing somebody. Well, how about kissing me? Well, pucker up your lips. Well, they're pocket. Well? Uh, not in the mood. Uh, Good night. <laughs> Listen in again next Monday night, same time, same station, for George Burns and Gracie Allen with Artie Shaw and his orchestra and the smoothies brought to you by Hormel and Spam. Until then, this is Bud Heaston reminding you to remember that cold or hot, Spam hits the spot. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Great Gildersleeve, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.